0: Hey, as pastor, I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that he's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time he promises to work through this Word. If he has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. If you weren't awake before, you are now. (laughs) Good to see you guys. And I want to tell you uh, what we did on our family vacation. We stopped by Charlotte, and we went to the number one attraction, according to TripAdvisor, the Billy Graham Museum. Has anyone ever been to the Billy Graham Museum? They have one in Wheaton as well. Anyone ever been there? Uh, Here's a picture of it. And um, it was quite interesting to see how God used a man named Billy Graham. Okay, you've never been to the museum or library. Has anyone heard of Billy Graham before? Oh, okay, very good. All right. Still with me. And he is known for having great influence. It's said in history that he has face-to-face preached to more people about the gospel of Jesus than anyone else. They estimate that he's preached to over 80 million people in person. Now, this was because of his crusades. And in his crusades, he preached a gospel of sin and grace. Uh, many were moved by the music, uh, Just As I Am, without a plea. And more people were touched by radio and books and TV shows. Billy Graham's influence is Huge. In fact, many times he's made the list of the most influential people, the most admired people, not only in the United States, but also in the world. Have you ever wondered, why Billy Graham? Why would God use him to be such an influencer? Why does he raise the power? What's the deal? Why him? Well, he had a quote. He said this about who God uses and why. He says this, When God gets ready to shake America... He may not take a PhD and the DD. God may choose a country boy. God may choose the man no one knows, a little nobody, to shake America for Jesus Christ in this day, and I pray that he would. I think that was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Billy Graham was a country boy, and yet just one of the instances he had was here in Seoul, South Korea, where over a million people gathered to hear him preach the name of Jesus. Okay, so if it's not Billy Graham, have you ever wondered, why do we know certain names? Like, like, why would we know the name of the Kardashians? Why why, why is that a common household name? Or, or why would we na- know actors like Emma Stone or, or, or musicians like Ed Sheeran? Or why would we know leaders like Ivanka Trump? All these people, why, why should they have such platforms? That's what we're going to talk about today. And really what we're going to uh, answer the question to is this, is how might we rise to power, or, or let me phrase it differently, how might God use you to be an influencer? How might he extend your platform? And if you're a Christian, I think God wants to make a lot of you. In fact, I'm reminded of Ephesians where he saved us by his grace, but at the end of that that section it says, but then he also made you as his workmanship. You're his craftsmanship. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And in many other ways, he said, we're like gardens. And just as we grow tomatoes or cucumbers, anyone have them at home? Tomatoes, cucumbers is a good crop. So he says, I want you to be like those tomato plants and those cucumbers. I want you to produce fruit. That was my purpose for you. That's why you're planted in Jesus, so that you would be used by God. Not only that you'd be saved, but that you'd be used by him. That he'd raise you to a platform of influence. In fact, look at this passage from Colossians. It says, That you might live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. James, he says, Lutherans, don't just hear the word. Don't just be brilliant uh, people that know a lot of facts and details. He says, actually, do what it says. And that's what we want to talk about. You ready? You with me? How might God use you? Well, we're in the second week of our series on Esther, and uh, the first week we learned about a king and his kingdom, uh, Xerxes, and a great kingdom named Persia. Uh, we also learned about a greater king named Jesus and a greater kingdom. That's what we'll be someday. Well, today we're going to see more of King Xerxes' foibles and flaws. We'll also see the nobility of a gal named Esther. And over the whole section, I think there is one verse that would apply for today. It is the verse that says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Can you say this passage with me? It's how important it is today. Let's say it together. It says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You want to go in opposition against the Lord? Just fill yourself with pride. Just just tell the Lord you know everything. Just, Just tell him your ways are better. That's what we're going to talk about. All right, so we got a long section, and uh, we're going to read 14 verses of the Bible. I'm going to do my best not to lose you in these 14 verses, and then we're going to pick them apart, and they're going to be awesome, okay? So let's get into the Word of God. Now, you can follow along on this screen or in your worship folder, whatever works best for you. So here we go. It says, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. And then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let a search be made for the beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but if you think that's a novel idea, you haven't read the book of Esther. They've been doing this since the beginning of time, right? Uh, Nothing's new under the sun. Well, so that's what they're doing there. They're having a dating competition, or if you like to phrase it more like Cinderella, the prince is searching for the maiden. in there, whatever your illustration is. Um, so let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Ashton. And this advice appealed to the king. He followed it. Well, there was in the citadel of Suda, Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So it was about 586 that Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem, took the Jews, God's people at that time, into captivity. And this is 100 years later, about 483, 479, that they are still there and Mordecai is still there 100 years later. Some say he should have returned, but but we don't know. He's still there for for whatever reason in Babylon. Okay, so he had been carried from exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar among those captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah. And this is Esther. Hadassah means uh, perfume or fragrance. Whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. She was an orphan. So not only was she an outcast, but she was also an orphan. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, which means star, we'll talk about that, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now this strikes me because... Uh, The the Bible describes people many times, and very rarely does it go on about the things that we'd be interested about. Very rarely does it depict, like, facial features. Like, we don't even know what Jesus looked like, other than that he was an average Joe. There was no beauty in him that we would be attracted to him. So when it says two things about Esther, that not only she had a lovely figure, but she was beautiful, it's like she was a knockout. Everyone knew it, all right? So just so you know, Bible scholars, she was a knockout. Anyway, Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who was in charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. And so immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening. Boy, is that a good guardian, right? So not father, but but still watching over Esther. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments, we'll talk about that, prescribed for women, six months of oil of myrrh, six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go there, in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, uh, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. There it is. The king has a beauty pageant, the bachelor of Persia, and Esther is one of the contestants. There's still stuff that we can learn today. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, You're God's favorite. You're God's favorite. You are God's favorite. I'm not a history buff, but I like war movies. In fact, has anyone seen Dunkirk? Anyone see that one? Uh, I don't know if how well it Was it any good? Okay, very good. Um, and even though I'm not a history buff, I know World War II and certain things. And one of the, the battles that really strikes in my mind or has stuck with me is the battle when 300 Spartans went against the nation of Persia. Now, they made a movie about this too. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, and, uh, and yet it is a famous, famous battle uh, called the Battle of Thermopylae. And it's an incredible thing uh, that that 300 Spartans, who are known for being rough and tough, being trained very young and living minimalistic lifestyles so they could be warriors, could could fight against these Persians. In the Battle of Thermopylae, they actually lost. But the Greeks actually won the Greco-Persian Wars, decisively. In fact, the Persians had to retreat, go home. Now, the reason I bring this up today is because it actually applies to our lesson it helps us understand one word from our lesson as we dig in today and that one word is this later let me explain a little bit where we are our bearings see the timeline is that king xerxes begins his reign in 486 vashti was opposed in chapter one as we learned last week in 483 in 480 he fell to the persians he was the king leading the conquest against the greeks He fell, and now in 479, this is the chapter we're in now. So when it says later, this is him returning from war. This is him bruised and beaten and a little bit depressed. And this is him needing a companion, but finding none. See, at this point, I believe Xerxes is going to want someone, uh, not just a friend, not just a buddy, he's going to want a teammate. He's going to want a life partner, because life is pretty bad right now. Someone to encourage him, say it's going to be okay. Okay. But what we learn from this verse is that the King Xerxes' fury had subsided and he remembers Vashti, probably in a longing way, and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Because she is gone. She was deposed because she didn't listen to the orders. Now King Xerxes finds himself in the situation he's in, not only losing to war, but losing his wife because of one word. And that word is pride. See, it was pride that leads King Xerxes to take more land. In fact, in Proverbs it says, there's wisdom in showing restraint. I'm not going after everything that you could go after. It is pride that, that when his wife didn't listen, he said, I'm done with you and you're deposed. And this is the first point for today, what you need to know about pride. We learn from Xerxes. Pride will take you places you don't want to go and will leave you in circumstances you don't want to be in. Pride will take you to places you don't want to go, maybe to Greece for Xerxes and leave you in circumstances you don't want to be in. We don't just see it with Xerxes. Did you hear about OJ this past week? The thing about letting OJ go, but why is OJ in jail? He's in jail for robbery. This retired multi-millionaire NFL player thought that it'd be a good idea to have armed robbery to gain back memorabilia that I don't believe he probably needed. And that is what led him to jail. Do you remember a guy named Blagojevich? I moved into Illinois during Blagojevich's reign. And what led him to where he's at? Pride. Pride. I'm above the rules. I can sell a Senate seat. But that's just not just in the world. I think of churches where where, where sometimes pastors filled can be filled with pride and unfortunately think they can do whatever they want and sometimes they fall down too. Leaders in any position, CEOs in any position can think they're above the rules, above the law and yet fall. you know it's easy to pick on other people. What about you? Where's pride led you? What things have come out of your mouth because of pride? What actions have you done filled with pride? How do you treat others based on the pride that is within you? Do you know I'm susceptible for this too? I think where pride leads me, and I'm working on it, is I, I claim like fierce independence. Sometimes I, I imagine that I can do it all by myself. I don't need anyone. I'm independent because God is my strength after all. But I have learned the lesson of pride. I am interdependent, gloriously interdependent, and God has been working on me. You know, if we want to be used by God, it's about being real and and submitting and letting go of all of our earthly pride. Of today, recognizing all the times and all the places, the circumstances that pride has led us and saying, Lord, I'm sick of that behavior. It's about being real with our Heavenly Father and saying, I repent, Lord, I want nothing of it. Because the reality is pride can lead you to worse circumstances than what Xerxes is. Pride can lead you away from God forever if not repented of. But if you're willing to be humble, if you're willing to sit there and admit today that you don't have it all together and that you need some help, the great thing about being humble is that God raises you up. The great thing about God is that He can raise you up and now by His strength empower you to do many things for Him. He can guide you not by the wisdom of your own, but by His wisdom, which is far superior. Those who repent in humility, He raises up to see the cross of Jesus on your behalf so that you would know you are forgiven. That you are not put down in the kingdom of God, rather you're raised up in the kingdom of God to live in that kingdom right now and someday forever. To be called his own dear child, that is yours. That's what you have to know about amazing love. If you're just joining us, that, that is the message this church is built upon. That if you're willing to repent and be humble and say, I don't have it all together, that is the exact place God can help you and where he wants you. It's the exact reason why Jesus came to die your death and to raise you up like never before. You are forgiven through the humility of Jesus Christ and his death for you on the cross. This is awesome news, friends. But there's more we can learn. Okay, so we've covered a little bit of pride. Now, now let's look a little bit at Esther and humility. And I wanted to know, have you ever been following a leader who told you to do something absolutely ridiculous? Following under someone who, who had some idea that were absolutely ridiculous. Uh, th- this last week we had soccer camp. And, and again, I thank all those who were involved. And, and sometimes I just feel for our soccer camp helpers. Like uh, on the last day it was raining, we didn't know what to do. And we had to roll with it, right? And, and so part of rolling with it is buying umbrellas. And I remember telling our teens, can you escort people inside with these umbrellas uh, so that they don't get wet? And they gave me a look that, well, this is kind of ridiculous. I don't know these people. But you're the pastor, okay, here's the umbrella. right? Well, I've had positions like that myself. I remember being in college, and for me, the ridiculous thing I had to do was Latin. I had two years of Latin, friends, and this is all my Latin experience. All you did was open a Latin dictionary for about two hours to look up words you didn't know, and that's all you are doing. And the whole time, I was thinking, I could be doing a lot better than this, right, students? You ever been there, students? Doing a lot better than this homework, I could be playing video games. Right? That's way more important. I could be watching movies. I could be out, you know, with friends. All this kind of stuff. Right? You ever been there? I see some nights, right? We know what it is to be told to do the ridiculous. But here's what I believe. I believe that in humility it is good to be willing to do what seems ridiculous. Because here's the thing. Esther shows us the way. Esther shows us what it is to do the ridiculous. Now, now what did Esther do that is ridiculous? For me, it's all about the makeup. So did you guys read that? Did you guys hear that? If there's any woman here who have ever said it takes me a long time to get ready, this is on like a whole nother level. right? Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, this is what she has to do. Before a young woman's turn came into going to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for women, six months with the oil of myrrh, and six with the perfumes and cosmetics. Now, a part of me wondered, like, is there any women who would like this kind of treatment? Like, spa day every day? I don't know, maybe there'd be some good. But as much as that sounds appealing, I'm thinking like in the middle of month three, on like a Wednesday, there has to be something in you that rises up and says, this is ridiculous. You know, I don't want the oil of myrrh today. You know, if he doesn't like me for who I am, he can have the oil of myrrh, all right? You know, like at some point, you had to wake up and say, please stop painting my face, please stop. I mean, they had a perfume coming out of their pores, right? It's crazy. But she did it. But she was willing in humility to do what seemed ridiculous. You know it's funny. There are a lot of people that dream big dreams. And I'm not knocking big dreams. There are young people here today who's like, God's going to use me to do this. And you can envision it, you can see it. And every now and then we hear about overnight successes. Do you want to know what's true about an overnight success? It was a long night. It was a long night. You don't get there overnight. In fact, if you're dreaming to do great things, you get there by doing the ridiculous things. You get there by doing the things that no one else wants to do, uh, by doing the things that you think at one time were beneath you. You get there by being willing to do whatever and surrendering completely to the Lord and to His will. There's no other way. And so what we learn is this principle. The people doing great things for God started by doing the ridiculous things. I I believe this with all my heart, because there was this guy named David, and David was the shepherd because the older boys didn't want to be the shepherd. David was the youngest, so he could be out in the field. But it was in in the field that he fought the lion. And because he fought the lion there, he had confidence to fight Goliath someday. It was the lesson learned in the ridiculous. See, there was this man named uh, uh, Joshua. And Joshua, he led a failed spy party. And he spied on the promised land. And it was failed because no one else thought they could take the land. And so no one listened to to Joshua. And yet God remembered. And that same Joshua was confident on that day after being a spy, God used to take that land years later. He was ridiculous one day, but great another day. You know, my experience is those who are used in the kingdom of God, they started by doing whatever. They started by cleaning the floors, by by, by sweeping uh, the floors, by, by vacuuming the carpet, by being willing to do whatever. You know how many great people I know started as Sunday school teachers, and some people might think that's a, a low thing, and they might have just met with one person, but I tell you, it's a great thing. And those same people who are willing to do whatever, I believe, are now being used by God to do even greater things because of that spirit inside of them. We can learn from Esther, right? There's more. To talk about the next principle, i got to show you a picture, and you tell me what all these people have in common. What do all these people, Carlos Zambrano, Milton Bradley, and Ozzie Guillen, so i got all bases covered with cubs and socks here, um, what do they all have in common? You might say a bad attitude, okay? They, they were known for flying off the handle. But as I was doing uh, research, a bleacher report put this together, And they reported these guys as the most uncoachable players in the MLB of all time. They made a list of 20 of the most uncoachable. You couldn't tell them anything. They're always fine. They knew better, right? And I say this. Have you ever met someone who is unteachable or uncoachable? It could be a classroom student. It could be an employee that you work with that just doesn't get in the memo. It could be the child at your home. Have you ever experienced someone unteachable? Of these people is true the proverb. The proverb that says, fools find no pleasure in understanding. Maybe that's the reason they don't, they, they don't listen. They're not coached. They, they find no pleasure in someone else. But delighting in their own opinions. Right? They don't listen because they know it all. They, they can't be trained. But you know what? Not our gal Esther. Let me set up the story. So, all the women had a chance to meet with Xerxes. And they had one shot to get it right. Because only after that one shot um, would Xerxes call them back. And look what they were afforded when they met with Xerxes. This is what they could do. It said, and this is how they would go to the king. Anything she wanted given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. So, so I'm not sure what the palace had, but it's a big kingdom. So I'm thinking there were diamonds you know, there were pearls, there was gold. They could bling it up, right? Maybe there was like the dog that you could put in the purse, you know. Maybe it was like the heart of the ocean, you know, from the Titanic. I mean, they could bring it all, right, you know. And so my imagination goes that most most, most ladies, they are probably bringing, you know, bringing out the, the most bling ever, right? You know, the, the most expensive, the biggest diamonds, the biggest earrings, you know. There we go. But when Esther's given a chance, here's what she does. In verse 15, it's not in your lesson, But in verse 15, look at what she does. It says, When the turn came for Esther, I'm going to skip here, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. See, she had this idea that maybe it doesn't matter what I think as much as who's in charge thinks. Maybe the person in charge could lead me in what it is to please the king. After all, he's been walking with him. And what we see is her humility and her teachability. She was willing to submit and do whatever in order to win the day. And so so this is our next point, that with humility comes teachability. And that is a word. I looked it up. Teachability. And the funny thing is, if you have a humble spirit, you can learn from almost anyone in any situation. If you observe kids and you're with a child, you can learn from a child. Maybe sometimes what they shouldn't do, but you can learn from a child. If you're open to learning from that boss that you don't get along with, if you're open, you can learn, again, of what to do and what not to do just by walking around. You can learn in almost any environment if you're open to it. And if you're a Christian, man, we should be often and regularly opening our Bibles and listening to his voice and saying, Lord, guide me. Lord, what do you want? Whatever you want, I want. And in humility, learn that lesson. One final thing about Esther. And this is a bit of guesswork. Some people say the reason that she didn't take all the stuff, all the bling, was because of the modesty and the dignity she had of herself. Some commentators say that she had in herself a quiet confidence of who she was and that she had all of her stuff together. That she was okay even without everything. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Cinderella story where all the sisters grab all the the good stuff and and yet Cinderella just brings the leftovers and she outshines them even with the leftovers. I see this in Esther. That that her nobility comes through with the quiet confidence of who she actually is, the beauty from within. Now, I know that's a bit of guesswork, but what we have learned is this. In life, this is a truism. um, that, That your rise to power will have more to do based on what's the inside than what's on the outside. That isn't it true that that more than the car you drive, more more than the clothes you wear, more than uh, the titles that you have behind your name, what's really going to be attractive about you is the character on the inside. And that will overwhelm the day. You know, New Testament writers picked up on this. Peter picked up on this. And that's why he wrote this. He said, so your beauty should come from not outward adornment." Such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, even pop singers have sung about a beautiful soul, but it's true, isn't it? But there's a problem. And the problem is that though we found the solution, this is the truth of inner beauty. That beauty on the outside can be microwave, but beauty on the inside is slow-cooked. Isn't that true? Uh, Last week I was with my family. My wife was installed as a preschool director, and it was kind of a good day. I got a kick out of meeting with my family, and one of my family members knows that I like fashion. I like cologne and stuff like that. And so part of our conversation was cologne tips. So I'm giving away cologne tips just because I know I like uh, to smell good. And and here's what you need to know about cologne. You can go on FragranceNet and click a button... And in an instant, you can smell better. I believe it. Guys, and maybe some of you should take this advice. Just saying. Just say. In an instant, you can smell better. But in order to walk into a conversation and have a demeanor that is pleasant... In order for people to walk away and say there was something about their aura that they really, really liked, in order for someone to recognize that character, it does not come through the click of a button. It comes through the slow work of each day waking up and surrendering to God and saying, I'll do whatever it takes. Of being a man and woman of integrity that not only hears the word, but does that same word and says, I want to live for God this way. It is this way that we become beautiful in the eyes of God. That slow working, that slow cooking in us of his refining work for our lives. This is what we learn from Esther. I don't think she was beautiful just in a moment. In 12 months, you can make a, a woman look beautiful, but she had something that was working, I believe, long before that. But I want to close on a high note. And I am closing. I know I'm long-winded but we still haven't really answered our question of how you will rise to power and how I will rise to power. And there's a part of me that would love to tell you as long as you're humble, then God will raise you. But I don't think he works that way. I don't think he works in a formulaic way. As long as I do X, Y, and Z, then I'll get this. I'm not sure that's the activity of God. In fact, I believe I have a reason why Esther rose to power. In fact, I believe it's the same reason why Billy Graham was used I believe it's the same reason why there was a guy named Joseph who was a slave in Egypt but rose to be second in power. I believe it's the same reason that worked in the life of a young girl named Mary who was chosen by God to be the bearer of the Son of God. You know that reason? Let me show it to you in verse 9. It says in verse 9, She pleased him, this is Esther, and won his, can you say that word? Favor. Some commentators said, well, this was about Esther's inner beauty. This was about what Esther brought. But that word favor in Hebrew was the same word that's used for God's faithful love. Chesed. You kind of have to spit in Hebrew. Chesed. It's guttural. Favor. Do you know why I think that God, that, that God raised her? Because he had favor. He had something called Grace. That at the end of the day, it wasn't about her nobility, her beauty, it wasn't about anything that she was gonna do. It is just for the simple fact that God is so gracious that sometimes He gives favor. And what I want to tell you, if you want influence, that there is no replacement for the favor of God to raise you up. And why would it be the favor of God? So that when you are in that position, as our first lesson said, you will never boast. Because you'll realize that it was God taking a foolish thing of the world and just raising him up because of the favor of God. And there's a part of me that honestly wants God's favor like nothing else. Lord, show favor on my life. Show favor in this church. Show favor to the people around me. I'm like, how do I get more of this favor? I thought perhaps it's obedience. Perhaps if I obey right, maybe then he'll show me more and more of God's favor. But I don't think, again, he works through a formula. You want to know I think the way to favor? Just stick by Jesus. That's all I got for you. Wake up each day with Jesus. Say each week I'm going to see Jesus. Talk to Jesus. And I just believe that he is so filled with favor that sometimes maybe it will superabound over and get to us. You know the good news today? You have the favor of God. Because out of all the people who are in this earth right now, You are here this day to not only know Jesus, but to know what his cross means. To know that you are a child of God, holy and redeemed. Some of you received that favor through baptism, where through the simple water and the word, he showed you his grace. We received it this morning in the Lord's Supper, where through the body and blood, we just were given favor. This is the favor that God has given. May you stay connected to him. And may you know if you're in that platform that it's going to be less about What you have to do and more about the favor of God. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we do want favor on our lives. And uh, with that, we, we pray for a humble spirit, a spirit that is willing to do whatever you tell us to do and go wherever you call us to go. But Lord, work in our lives. Put your hand of blessing on them and show us again your favor because of the grace of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.